Section 47 of Journal of the Reverend Francis Asbury, Volume 3. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Brian Keenan. Sabbath 20. I preached to a small congregation in the chapel at Chillicothe. There is a camp meeting within nine miles, and some are sick, some dying, and some are dead. My subject was Luke 22, 61-62, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. The Gospels will harmonize here by John, who was witness to the whole. Peter denied thrice, first, to the damsel who kept the door, John having asked leave of the high priest to bring in Peter. Secondly, when the kinsman or cousin of Malchus, whose ear Peter had cut off, witnessed, possibly, by the young man, asked him, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Thirdly, when the conversation is taken up in company with the servants of the high priest, and one of them asks, Art thou not one of his disciples? The previous character of Peter may be noticed. A married man, not a youth. Forward, ardent, as was seen on many occasions. When faithfully warned, he pledged himself with overweening confidence. His offense was, first, taking unallowed means of defense, like his pretended successors, the popes. Secondly, following too far off. Thirdly, denying his lord. The lie, the oath, and their repetition follow, of course. What was the subject of Peter's denial? Did he deny that Christ was the eternal Son of God, the Savior of the world in all his sacred offices? No. Peter's crime was that he denied his discipleship and this is the crime of which so many modern apostates are guilty. Who now deny the Lord? Backsliders, baptized infidels, careless seekers of salvation, slothful believers, and those who have fallen from sanctification by the neglect of the works of mercy, charity, and piety. The Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Ah, he was obliged to go out with disgrace. He had entered with honor but he could not weep and repent in wicked company. No, he sought a solitude. For three days and three nights it may be. But lo, Jesus sendeth the word of comfort that he may not break his heart. Go, tell my brethren, said he to Mary Magdalene. Thrice did Peter deny his Lord, and thrice did our Lord question his disciple, Lovest thou me? Oh, how great is the love of God, the love of Christ, the love of the Holy Spirit. Redemption is love. Monday 21. We visited from house to house with our mite subscription, which seemed to all well-pleasing. The citizens were liberal. Hearing that Eleanor W.N. was ill, and wished to see me, I delayed not, but went in the evening. When we entered the room, I found her ill indeed. An attack highly inflammatory, accompanied by a deep cough. On Tuesday I repeated my visit, and in private examination found that God had shown her the vileness of her nature in a great degree, and that she had received consolation, and only wanted and waited for the Spirit to give assurance of his own work by his witness in her heart. I told her that it was very common for persons to be sure that God had blessed them. Oh, how her eyes, her face, her tongue spoke! She was an Episcopalian of the English Church. Her mind had been much exercised upon receiving the sacrament. It was administered to her. 
I find I am about such a feverish, coughing subject as the lady I have been visiting. I coughed nearly the whole night. Wednesday, 23. We left Chillicothe in the rain. Some folks are fond of railing out against Methodists, taking the worst as a sample. But bad as they are, I would not take the best of the railers without a change in sentiment, in heart, and in manners. Ah, let us take heed that party and politics do not drive out our piety. They do not mingle well. Can it be that Bonaparte is finally overthrown? The time is coming that all kings and rulers must acknowledge the reign of the King of Kings, or feel the rod of the Son of God. But will forms do for the United States of America? Foolish people will think they have a right to govern themselves as they please. I and Satan will help them. Will this do for us? Is not this republic, this land, this people, the Lord's? We acknowledge no other king but the eternal king. And if our great men will not rule in righteousness, but forget God and Christ, what will be the consequence? Ruin. Saturday 26. We changed our course to go to the Mechanicsburg camp meeting. As soon as we came upon the ground, I felt that God was with the meeting. Give us a chimney that we may have fire. It was done. God was with us, and souls were converted. Friday, September 1. At John Sales. Sunday 3. I preached on Romans 13.12. The night is far spent. What constitutes the natural night? Absence of light, ignorance, insecurity, uncertainty. The gospel watchman crieth the hours. The scripture night, from Adam to Moses. The patriarchal stars, and those who preceded them as dim lights, Adam, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham. The moonlight of the law, the Sabbaths, the sacrifices. But this night was about to pass away although darker just before the dawn of the gospel day, and it is thus in nature. The Jews had corrupted themselves in religion and in manners. The night of Judaism and paganism had nearly passed away. When Paul wrote in the year 60, the gospel had obtained in Europe, Lesser Asia, Greece, in the city of Rome, and had spread from the Euphrates to the Mediterranean. This night has returned occasionally. It came upon the Asiatic churches because of their unfaithfulness. Where once were the gospel and its martyrs are now Greek papas and Greek superstitions. From the 3rd to the 13th century, the Church of Rome brought darkness upon Europe by prohibiting the Bible, and by the introduction of her own mummeries and idolatries. Philosophy, so-called, with Voltaire for its high priest, brought night and destruction upon France. Judicially, to avenge on the bloody house of Bourbon the blood of the Protestant martyrs. And would not some of our great men, if they dared, bring a night of infidelity on this land? Who sees them in regular attendance on the house of God? Let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us not sin in practice. Let us cast off evil tempers, desires, and affections. The armor of light. See Ephesians 6, 11-17. Perfect faith, perfect hope, perfect obedience, perfect love.
On our route, we called upon many of our old friends, Buck, Sale, Bonner, Smith, Butler. They treated us like presidents. Monday, September 4. I have been under the necessity of applying four blisters for a great inflammation in my face and jaws. I have taken medicine. As a member of the Bible Society in Philadelphia, I have distributed many hundreds of testaments. We do great things with our might subscription. John Wesley Bond reads many times in the testaments distributed to the poor. I have visited the families of Butler, Owens, Beale, Heath, Wright, Fowler, and Davis. Sabbath 10. I preached on the campground. My subject was Hebrews 3, 7, 8. His voice. What is the voice of God to us, to every case and character? The gospel of the grace of God, in all its blessings, promises, means, ordinances, doctrines, and precepts. His voice. In power, in mercy, in providence, in love. Harden not your hearts. We may harden our hearts against the former, latter, and present impressions the powerful gospel may have made upon our hopes, our fears, and our consciences. In what manner? By open, notorious sinning. By secret wickedness. By sinful tempers indulged. By a willful neglect of gospel men and gospel means. The greatness of our rebellion. We sin against the infinite love of God the infinite merit of Christ, the spirit of infinite holiness. Today, if ye will hear his voice. Today. This is both the true reading and meaning. Not tomorrow. No, it may never come. Today, then, speaker and hearer, do all you can for God. On Tuesday the 12th, we began our journey. Thursday 14th. Our Ohio conference began, and all our fears vanished. We have great peace, abundance of accommodation, and comfortable seasons in preaching, noon and night, in the chapel and courthouse. Great grace and peace and success have attended our coming together. We hold in Ohio conference 68 preachers, 67 of whom are stationed. Ten delegates have been chosen for the general conference. The settlement with the married and unmarried was made according to the funds, in which the might subscription aided. The children of the preachers were remembered in the distribution of the funds. Thursday we came away to Cincinnati. Bishop M. Kendry and myself had a long and earnest talk about the affairs of our church and my future prospects. I told him my opinion was that the western part of the empire would be the glory of America, for the poor and pious, that it ought to be marked out for five conferences, to wit, Ohio, Kentucky, Holston, Mississippi, and Missouri, in doing which, as well as I was able, I traced out lines and boundaries. I told my colleague that having passed the first allotted period, seventy years, and being, as he knew, out of health, it could not be expected I could visit the extremities every year, sitting in eight it might be twelve conferences, and traveling six thousand miles in eight months. If I were able still to keep up with the conferences, I could not be expected to preside in more than every other one. 
As to the stations, I should never exhibit a plan unfinished, but still get all the information in my power, so as to enable me to make it perfect, like the painter who touches and retouches, until all parts of the picture are pleasing. The plan I might be laboring on would always be submitted to such eyes as ought to see it, and the measure I meted to others I should expect to receive. Sabbath 24. I preached at Lebanon, by request of conference, a memorial sermon for Dr. Koch. My subject was Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before men. The gospel light, in all its fullness of grace and power, the reflected light of that light of the world, manifested in faith and in obedience in every grade and class of believers. Ministers should be resplendent like a city illuminated in the night. A great light amidst churches in darkness and slumber. Like Dr. Koch, whose effulgence beamed forth in missions, in labors, in Europe, in America, in the isles of the sea, and in Asia. I took occasion to particularize the abundant labors of this distinguished man of God. Wednesday 27. We came rapidly to Cincinnati. Friday, Bishop M. Kendry's fractures are all repaired, and bones strong again, I suppose, for he has flown away like a bird with the boys. We must stay and distribute the word of God to the poor, collect a little mite money, and then away, preaching in every town we pass through. Sabbath, October 1. I preached in the chapel. My subject was Philippians 1.27. Wednesday I preached in the courthouse in Georgetown. My subject, Acts 13.26. To you is the word of this salvation sent. This salvation, the gospel, to be sure. Who the author, what the nature, means, conditions, spirituality, and degrees of this salvation. From whom it is sent, by whom, and to whom it is sent. It was sent to Jews first afterward to the Gentiles, and continue to be sent, and is still sent to the children of men by the written word, by the ministers of that word, and by the influences of the Holy Spirit. The consequences of its reception, eternal life, of its rejection, everlasting damnation. We came into Lexington. My soul is blessed with continual consolation and peace in all my great weakness of body, labor, and crowds of company. I am a debtor to the whole continent, but more especially to the northeast and southwest. It is there I usually gain health, and generally lose in the south and center. I have visited the south thirty times in thirty-one years. I wish to visit Mississippi, but am resigned. I preached in Lexington on Zephaniah 3, 12, 13. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord the true character of God's people, tempted, grieved, poor in spirit, their strong confidence in Jehovah, in all his attributes, perfections, promises, in all his sacred offices and near relations to his own people, well guarded by a supreme love of God and a love to their fellow men, this people shall not transgress the law in its word nor in its spirit, nor shall they deceive. For the deceitful tongue is changed by the grace that changed the deceitful heart. As a flock, their souls shall feed and fatten on the privileges and ordinances of the gospel, 
whilst other flocks of the hireling shall starve and be scattered. The flock of God shall be led into green pastures by the great shepherd, and they shall lie down, undisturbed by that which shall distress others, assured that they shall never perish, neither shall any be able to pluck them out of his hand. On Monday we came into the Shaker's town. Are these children of light? They are wiser than millions of the children of this world. Well-built houses, two grand gardens, everything well-planned for comfort and money. But why should I say any harm of this people, who am, I suppose, the last man in the world to envy or to imitate them? Tuesday 10. At James M. Kendry's. Nathaniel Moore has come to take away our sister, Frances M. Kendry. All parties are pleased. Wednesday I took counsel of my elder sons, who advised me not to go to Mississippi this year. On Thursday I officiated at the marriage of Nathaniel Moore and Frances M. Kendry. We believe it is of the Lord. They are a worthy couple, and nearly of an age. We have given away many testaments to the poor on our route hither, and they were in all cases received with thankfulness. We accompany our gifts with prayer and exhortation when opportunities offer. Sabbath 15. I attended the funeral of the little son of James M. Kendry, and spoke a few words. James Gwynne spoke on David's words, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. I baptized Francis Elizabeth Mabry. So here have been a marriage, a funeral, and a baptism. And must I be honored and burdened with them all? Well, make the best of me whilst you have me. It will not be often. Wednesday 18. Brother M. Kendry preached a funeral sermon for Mrs. Crabb, daughter of S. Mitchell. I added an exhortation. Our brother Blackman had improved his house and estate. Ah, sad estate of human frailty. The body of the first husband rests in a tomb near the dwelling. The body of the second may yet float in the Ohio. Go, disconsolate sister. Thou art prepared to weep for the wretched, for thou thyself knowest what is sorrow of heart. Thursday at Bibbs. Friday 20. We opened our conference. Saturday, great peace, great order, and a great deal of business done. Sabbath 22. I ordained the deacons and preached a sermon in which Dr. Coke was remembered. My eyes fail. I will resign the stations to Bishop M. Kendry. I will take away my feet. It is my 55th year of ministry and 45th year of labor in America. My mind enjoys great peace and divine consolation. My health is better, which may in part be because of my being less deeply interested in the business of the conferences. But whether health, life, or death, good is the will of the Lord. I will trust him, yea, and will praise him. He is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Glory, glory, glory. Conference was eight days and a half in session. Hard labor. Bishop M. Kendry called upon me to preach at the ordination of elders. Sabbath 29. At a little place called a meeting house, I preached by appointment. The notice given had been short and rather uncertain, nevertheless many attended, 
more than was at all expected. We had a feeling time. I spoke awful words. November 1. We came upon the turnpike, a disgrace to the state and to the undertakers, supposing they had any character to lose. It is a swindling of the public out of their money to demand toll on roads such as these. We are told, why they make you pay on the turnpikes to the eastward. Yes, so they do, and they make them fine roads. Thursday to Father Holtz, 43 miles. We came in two hours after night. This will not do. I must halt or order my grave. Saturday, I am very unwell. Friday, rest and physic. I felt that keeping three men and four horses three days and four nights, not with my friends but with me, was too great a burden to impose. Oh, what kindness and attentions I receive! Virginia, Sabbath 5. I decline preaching, being so exceedingly weak. Tuesday we stopped with Wesley Harrison, son of Thomas Harrison, in Harrisonburg. The father was the first man under whose roof I lodged on my first visit to that town. His pious wife and simple-hearted, pious Robert Harrison are, I trust, both in glory. I have received a statement from James Axley of the work of God in the different places within his knowledge, at quarter and camp meetings, and it appears there were upwards of 150 souls who professed to have found justifying grace. There were powerful rains at some of these meetings to interrupt the preaching, and drive the people from their seats, but the work of God prospered in the tents. Monday 6. We came to Captain Hill's, very kind and attentive. Tuesday came to Thomas Harrison's, son of Thomas. Thursday at Bowling's, we were greatly annoyed by a brigade of Kentuckians. Can fiends be more wicked? The drunkards kept the house in an uproar. Friday at Barnett's, there was a dance. Such fiddling and drinking. I delivered my testimony. I am clear from Barnett's blood. A rapid ride brought us to Mills's on Saturday. Sabbath 12. I attended the quarterly meeting at Samuel Edney's and bore a feeble but a faithful testimony to the truth. I have read, with dim eyes, Joseph Moore's dialogue. It is not elegant, but argumentative. It seems to have silenced the Baptists. Sabbath 19. I preached upon Acts 26, 1718. Many were the instances of deliverance. They bound him and scourged him, yet had the Jews no power over his life, which they so often sought. And the Gentiles, to whom he was especially sent by the Son of God, what a description is given of their deplorable state! What blindness of mind, ignorance, idolatry, superstition, complicated and unaccountable wickedness! The power of Satan, completely in his possession, body, soul, and spirit, in all their powers and passions, in infidelity and impenitence, and under the guilt of actual transgression. Thus gospel truth and gospel ministers find sinners, and they must be preached to with energy. And these ministers must be sent, and to be qualified for this mission, they must, like Paul, be convinced, convicted, and converted, and sanctified. 
Like him they must be preserved from the violence of the people, but especially from their indulgences and flatteries, turning them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God. A faithful minister will have these signs to follow him. I die daily, am made perfect by labor and suffering, and fill up still what is behind. There is no time or opportunity to take medicine in the daytime. I must do it at night. I am wasting away with a constant dysentery and cough. Monday 20. At Benjamin Glover's. At Allen Glover's on Tuesday. Wednesday my children will not let me go out. Thursday 23. Came to Thomas Childs near Cambridge, 20 miles. Friday. To Dr. William Moons. Saturday. The doctor urges, and I have consented to take digitalis. Oh, the powerful expectoration that followed. Sabbath 26. I preached, and we had a time of great feeling. Monday, heavy rain. We came away to Hezekiah Arrington's, a cold, damp ride. Tuesday to the widow Means's. The lady was not at home, but the servants are attentive. John Wesley Bond preached in the kitchen. We try to do good. Wednesday to Sterling Williamson's, 30 miles in 8 hours. A damp, rainy day, by no means pleasant to me. Thursday, rested. Friday, at Columbia. South Carolina, Saturday, December 2. A melancholy and awful scene has been witnessed here. Dr. Ivy Finch, about 30 years of age, in driving a violent horse out of Columbia in his chair, was dashed between the shaft and wheel, and his skull fractured. The unhappy man was the only son of my dear friend Edward Finch. How many gospel sermons had he heard, and how many prayers had been offered up for him? I preached on the Sabbath. I have passed three nights at B. Arthur's, two at friend Alexander M. Dowell's, and one night at Colonel Hutchinson's. My consolations are great. I live in God from moment to moment. The poor colonel is like myself, broken to pieces. I feel deeply upon my mind the consequence of this charge, Columbia. Thursday 7. We met a storm and stopped at William Baker's, Granby. End of section 47. Recording by Brian Keenan.